0: Few years ago at Christmas time, I was visiting my mother's parents, and I don't get to see them very often, and it's now less because we live so much further away from them now than we used to. But every Christmas day was at Granny Souter's house, and we would always go there and it was a really good time, and folks I didn't get to see much. And I remember we were about to leave a few years ago, and my grandfather looked at me and said he, in his typical dry fashion, he said, you're losing a little bit up top, aren't you? Talking about my hair. <clears throat> well, my grandfather is notorious because he would not want you to know, but he doesn't have any hair either. And and he, though he would not want you maybe to, to know, he doesn't hide the fact that he's covering the fact that he has no hair. <laughs> He's worn a toupee for years, years. And in fact, I'm not sure that I would recognize him without it. It's been so long since he's worn it. And so uh, knowing all of this, of course, and wanting to give him a hard time in return and, and hinting towards some idea of maybe a recessive gene that it skips a generation and it's from your mother's father and all of these things, you know, I said, well, it's your fault, you know. And he says, well, he says, I'll tell you what. He said, the next time you're in town, I'll let you try on a few of my old tops. <laughs> and with that, we walked out the door and said, no, thank you, Grandpa, that's okay. <clears throat> you know, one thing that that highlights for me that I've learned about older people is that it seems to be that there's something with age that helps older people say what's on their mind. Now, I don't know that we have any particularly outspoken older folks here in the church. Maybe a couple. Maybe we have some older folks that you're sitting close to and you would say, talking about you, you just have no filter whatsoever as you've gotten older. You think it and it just comes out of your mouth. And I know that there's something with age that it seems to be that you maybe think as you get older, you just have the right to have no filter. Look, I've earned it, okay? I've kept my mouth shut for 65 years, and I'm done with that. I'm going to tell you what I think. But, you know, when you talk with older folks, you you can be guaranteed that you're going to have several different topics of conversation, maybe all in the same conversation, or maybe they're going to be spread out. But older folks like to talk about certain things. We like to talk about the weather. Whether it's too hot or too cold or too rainy or not rainy enough. And we talk about the weather with older folks. You know that. If I inevitably, I know this, if I go into our to our Sunday school classes and there are in their classes with some older gentlemen or older ladies in there, I know that one of the topics that's gonna come up is the weather. Now you all know this. Every Sunday, don't you? You talk about the weather. How it's been and how it's gonna be. Forecast cold this week. When be cold boy, it was too rainy last week, wasn't it? We talk about the weather. <clears throat> older folks like to also talk about their aches and pains. You're going to hear about what's hurting. And that's okay because things hurt as you get older, don't they? That's just the way it is. You're going to talk about the stuff that's affecting you. Well, oh, I tell you what, my back, my knees, my neck, whatever it may be, I got some aches and pains. Older folks also like to talk about the cost of living. You know, a dollar ain't what it used to be. And they talk about how much things cost. And you're thankful the price of gasoline has gone down recently. It gives you something to talk about, a cost of living. Older folks like to talk about also what's wrong in the world. And what's wrong in the world just so happens to be whatever it is that they might disagree with at the time. It's just, that's what's wrong in the world. Now, we're all like that, so we can't get on older folks just about that. But you know, they talk about what's wrong in the world because they remember what used to be right about the world. Got a lot to compare it to. And also, inevitably, if they have them, older folks like to talk about their grandchildren. You ask about how the grandkids are doing. Well, hopefully you've got a half an hour or so to listen to the stories because they love to talk about their grandkids. Do you have any pictures? Well, if they have a wallet, they pull it out, and you know how those old flip picture things? There they go down the aisle. I've got a few pictures. And now with the advent of smartphones, guess what? You can store thousands of pictures. <laughs> got a couple more hold on here's a video you know so we know inevitably that these are going to be the topics of conversation and i tell you what i love to hear all of those stories you know the world's view of older folks portrays them as having very little value for our society their time has passed for being a productive citizen we think and so well what value do they have now to contribute We've become such a cynical society when it comes to leadership and when it comes to to what it means to be a great person that we don't have any regard anymore, it seems, for the wisdom of older folks. In some cases, people would tell you that older people are to be seen but not heard, much like little children. And they're just tolerated. Or maybe worse, they're mocked and just completely ignored. But you know the biblical view on older folks is so much different. You know, we we laugh and we joke about their topics of conversation, but you know, it it really is something that the Bible tells us is great about older folks, that we should listen to them, That, that we should want to interact and talk with them and appreciate what they have accomplished or what they have learned in life. You realize the biblical view shows older folks as being respected in some cases, simply because they're older. Not because of anything they've necessarily done or not done, but only because they're older. And in so many cases we know added to that are lives of integrity and grace and incredible work for the Lord that makes that so much easier to respect. Older folks in the Bible are honored. They're given positions of honor and and they are listened to and they're learned from. And they are leaders. realize older folks are leaders in the Bible. Certainly younger people led different areas of stories in the Bible, but you realize that for the most part you see older people who were given roles of leadership. Abraham, when he was 75 years old, is called to lead something. Not only were they leaders, but older folks were expected to lead. And I think one of the, one of the great shames in our society and in many of our churches is that folks, as folks age, we begin to assume that now no longer should they be, nor do we want them to lead anything. And maybe part of the reason why we have such an immature society is we have disowned the mature leadership. Older folks in the Bible were trusted. They were people of integrity that you could lean on and you could trust what they tell you. You could... Trust that what you tell them was going to be held in confidence. Older people were trusted. They were were also very enduring people. We're going to look this morning, as we wrap up this series on worship, at how to worship like an old person. And I don't mean by that that we're going to get any particular kind of style or posture or thing to necessarily do when you come to church and stand to sing. It's going to be far beyond that. In fact, what we'll see is the story of a couple of older people whose responses to Jesus give us something that we can live out and can become part of our lives. Our series that we've been in is called Worship, and we'll finish it today, just a very short Christmas series, about the fact that when Jesus was born and was introduced to different people, they worshipped. We saw the shepherds. When the angels announced Jesus, they went and they worshipped and they returned, having had everything changed for them, even though their circumstances had not changed at all. Worship for them changed everything. Last week, we looked at the wise men. And we looked at their worship and how it involves our humility and our offering. Today we're going to look at a couple of old folks. The goal has been for this series just to introduce us to what worship is in general. And it's far more than, than just singing in church. It's far more than, than just singing in your car. It's far more even than just music. Worship is a way of life. It involves all of those things. And what we'll see today is it involves the words that we say and the words that we use. So two older people today and how they responded when they met Jesus. Uh, what they did in general, just so you know is that they worshipped and they witnessed. Because they had met Jesus, they responded in worship and in witness, and in fact, really, they worshipped by their witness. By talking about Jesus, they worshipped. The scripture here is in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 38. Now, here's the way this is going to go this morning. You'll notice there's only one fill-in-the-blank. And I know that for some, that's bad for you. Because that that's that's just bad. You, you need more than that, or you're going to wonder when it's going to come. You're also going to be frustrated by the fact that there's not going to be any Scripture on the screen, and that the fill-in-the-blank is going to take a while to get there. Just telling you. Okay? So here's the way we're going to do this. We're, we're going to look at the Scripture a little bit as we go along. I'm going to talk about some things, and we're going to wrap it all up with the the fill-in-the-blank. It's going to like a crescendo. And so I expect thunderous applause and a standing... No, but that's how it's going to go, all right? You with me? Everybody good with that? All right, so settle in, relax. We're going to get there, but it's not going to be immediate, all right? So the stories today are about two different people, but Luke uses them in a way that he kind of couples their stories together. So it's kind of a pairing. It's sort of like, here's the first story, and here's another one just to reinforce... So that's kind of what we get. So they're similar in their nature. They're not identical. They're certainly not about the same person, but they reinforce one another. You've got one man, one woman, essentially the same story, the same content, the same general ideas to what's happening. All right. So the first man we meet, the first person we meet, rather, is a man named Simeon. Look in verse 25. Look on your sheet there in your your handout. It will help you follow along a little better. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, just a common Jewish name. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's a fancy way of saying that he was an upright, God-fearing, very serious guy about his faith. Not only that... But he was exceptional enough in all of those things that Luke would mention it. So he's not just your average run of the mill, okay, I'm going to take up space in church kind of person. He was really righteous and really devout. He took God very seriously. He was an exceptional guy. He was a great example to the younger men and younger women of his day on what a true man of God actually does and is. He's looking forward, it says, to Israel's consolation. Now, consolation doesn't mean like a a second-place bracket, the consolation bracket. Well, we feel sorry for you, so we'll throw this at you, and maybe you can get a trophy and go home and come back and pay us again next year. That's not what they're talking about. What he meant here, Luke uses the word consolation. It just means that eventually they knew their Messiah was coming and would bring encouragement and new hope to Israel. That's what he's talking about. That's the consolation, the redemption. The kingdom of God that would come. And it says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was on him. Now that all gives you the sum of this guy. He's incredible. I mean, there's something really special about him. For him to be described, not just as a Jewish man who happened to be around the temple at the time, but as a righteous and devout man who was anxious for God's Messiah to come, was expecting that the Messiah would arrive, and also that he's full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him. This guy is something special. Obviously, he had a great reputation. A great man of God. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So he'd gotten some word from God somehow, maybe in a dream, maybe in a vision. Maybe God has just spoken to him uh, through his spirit about those things. That, that look, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Not until you get some vision of a Messiah or some somebody tells you, yeah, here's a prediction, but no, no. Until you see God's messenger, God's deliverer, God's Messiah, his promise when you're not going to die. So he had long been walking with God, long listening to the Holy Spirit, and had been in tune with him. Verse 27 gives us more of that. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex at the right time. Listen, some of us don't hear from God because our spirits are not in tune with what God is doing. We don't know the scripture. We don't spend time in prayer. We don't spend time listening to God. We don't ask God to speak to us. One of my desperate prayers all the time is, God, speak to me. Show me. Tell me who you are. Show me where you are today. God, speak to me. And I don't mean in some audible voice. I just mean, God, in my spirit, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you give me discernment to know where you're working, where you're moving? This guy had it. Simeon knew God, and he understood when the Holy Spirit was leading, and so the Holy Spirit, he believes, is leading him to walk into the temple. So he does. When the parents brought the child, Jesus, to perform what was customary under the law, that is, his circumcision, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and then said, so he's still listening to God, Simeon knows this is the Messiah, just upon seeing him, the Holy Spirit tells him, and so he embraces him and begins to praise God. And then he says something in verse 29 that reminds me of a book that I saw and, and, and wanted to get for my dad a few years ago called Now I Can Die in Peace. It was a story of a Red Sox fan who had waited and waited and waited and waited and waited, and waited for them finally to win a World Series. And he had endured the 1967 series against the Cardinals when the Red Sox lost. And he had endured 1978 when Bucky Dent of the Yankees hit a home run in a playoff game to beat the Red Sox. And he had endured 1986 with Bill Buckner and the ground ball going between his legs and the Mets rallying for a seven-game win. He endured all those things, and finally, they won the World Series. I'll never forget... My dad, who had been a Red Sox fan for nearly his whole life and had endured all of those same things, i would never forget when they finally won the World Series after 86 years. And for you Cubs fans, you say, well, that's nothing. (laughs) 86 years? its childish. You kidding me? Anyway, for 86 years, they had waited. 1918, my dad, he finally gets to experience it. And I'll remember, what I remember him saying was essentially the same thing. Well, good, now I can die in peace. The Red Sox finally win the World Series, you know. But look what Simeon says. Very similar kind of feeling, if you will, if we can compare it. He says, now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace. He says, I, I, as you promised, Lord, you've been faithful to your word. You can release me from this life. I'm at peace having seen what you promised. And then he goes on to tell us about it. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen the means, God, of how you're going to save the world and reconcile it to yourself and bring your kingdom here. He says in verse 31, You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. This salvation, he says, is for all people. For even the Gentiles, he said, they're going to understand it. It's going to be revealed to them. It's going to be proclaimed to them. And Israel will be recognized as the nation through whom this great salvation comes. He says, now I can die in peace. I've seen what God promised. I've seen what I've been waiting on my whole life. I've seen it. I've gotten to meet the Messiah. I've seen... The method of God's salvation and he just begins to praise God and he says God I, I'm, I'm good now this wasn't some deal he had made with God or some bargain but he just says Lord I'm ready to go I can die in peace God I'm, I can die happy I can die fulfilled I can die now Lord with no regrets with nothing that I didn't get to experience he goes on to, to talk to Mary and Joseph, verse 33, tells us their response to all of this. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thought of many hearts may be revealed. He he prophesies. He tells them, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. He blesses them. He tells them they are blessed and favored by God. And, and then he prophesies and, and he says, I know what's going to happen. This Messiah, he's going to come. He's going to make sure that everybody comes to a point of decision. He's going to cause the rise and the fall. He's gonna, you're going to fall on one side or the other. You're going to have to make a decision about him. He says, it's not going to be easy for anybody. Israel's going to struggle with this. And we know that the Jews were very, very reluctant to receive Jesus as the Messiah. Certainly after he was killed. It's a struggle for them to understand how could their Messiah die. So his prophecies, of course, all come true. Even the one about the sword piercing Mary's soul who watched her son Jesus die on the cross. Simeon says, I can die happy. And then he goes on to to tell them why. He talks about Jesus much like an older person would talk about their grandkids or the weather or their aches and pains, just natural. Look, I can die happy. Let me tell you why it is. Let me tell you about this Messiah. He's ready to die, not because he's seen Jesus do a miracle, Jesus is a baby. Not because he's heard Jesus preach a sermon. He can't do that yet. Not because he's been so impressed with Mary and Joseph and, well, clearly, this is the perfect family for the Messiah. He's ready to die not because of anything that he had done or had seen other than simply seeing and being introduced to the Messiah. Because wrapped up in Jesus was all the hope that he and anybody else ever had for the salvation of this sinful, painful, awful world. Simeon says, because of Jesus, I'm ready to die, which begs the question, what about you and me? And we don't like to think about this stuff. I certainly don't like to think about it. The grandfather that I mentioned to you earlier is struggling right now in the hospital, not doing well at all. Touch and go. Who knows? Nobody likes to talk about death. The truth is that nobody gets out of life alive. Know what I mean? It's inevitable. Now, we think it's not going to happen to us anytime soon, or maybe even ever. But look around. Because the people that you see now, one day you won't. Maybe you say, well, that's a lot of scary talk. No, no, it's just reality. Simeon says, "I, I can die happy. Lord, I can die in peace. Not because he was so righteous, not because he was so devout, because he did all the religious rituals the right way. Because he met Jesus. I wonder what it is that makes you feel uneasy, maybe, about death. Or what makes you feel that you're ready to die. Or you may say, well, I, I, don't, I don't even know that I've ever really considered that much. What is left for you to be ready to die? You say, well, I've got a lot more that I want to accomplish. There's some other things that I want to do. You know, I... I want to be here for this or that, or I want to see these things happen. Let me tell you, all those things, if Simeon were to talk to us today, he would say, well, that's great, but that's just details. That's great, but that's just extra stuff. There's nothing nothing really wrong with that. Nothing really wrong with wanting to live a long life. It's not talking about that we're all going to go out of here and die today. That's not what I'm trying to say. But Simeon would say, well, look, it only comes down to one thing. You can be prepared to die in peace so long as you know Jesus. That's it. Not so long as you've been in church your whole life, or you've memorized the whole New Testament, or you pray the most elaborate prayers, or you're a good person to everybody. You're so generous. No, 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 no. He would say it only comes down to do you know Jesus or do you not? Do you believe in him as the Son of God, the one true means for salvation, or do you not? It's as plain and simple as that. We got a lot of folks in our world today, and you know them and I do too. They're preparing themselves to die. In fact, this morning, Austin and I were talking about it just a few minutes ago, there was a sports center anchor whose death, I assume, came overnight. Stuart Scott. Some of you might know of Stuart Scott, African-American fellow who, whose expressions were, were really world-famous. He died of cancer overnight. And all the stuff on Twitter and all of those things, we're, we're just recounting what a great and legendary figure he is, and certainly rightfully so in the world of sports center type broadcasts. No question. But let me tell you this. What most folks are going to assume about Stuart Scott, and I don't know him, I don't know anything about his soul, nothing about that, so there's no judgment on him at all. But what most folks are going to assume is because he was good at his job, Because he was such an incredible guy, because he was so boisterous and fun to be around, because he was so sober-minded when he got cancer and helped so many people, they're going to assume that because of all of that, he was ready to die. And I would say this about Stuart Scott or about anybody. All that stuff is details. Because the only thing that prepares anybody, and Simeon would tell us as he says here in the scripture, the only thing that prepares anybody to die is knowing Jesus. You can be the greatest person in your job. People can love you. They can think the world of you. That doesn't do a thing for you. And I hate to tell you that, but I love to tell you that. Because until we recognize those things, we're going to count on all that other stuff to be what makes us ready to die. And we'll die and then say, oh my goodness, what have I done? I counted on all this stuff that I piled up, but I didn't know Jesus. Simeon says, I can die happy. Let me tell you why. Here's why. Because I met Jesus. I couldn't get there on my own. I can't earn my way into heaven. I can't be ready to die apart from him. I can die happy. Let me tell you why, he says. We just came out of a series called Go. And it was all about missional living and and living as an influence, and living as a godly person, and letting Jesus spill out of you everywhere. And one of those things has to be your conversation. If you're looking for a way to start a conversation or to respond in conversation, people are going to be talking about certain things. You're going to hear them talk about it. Maybe there's a way at work, at school, in your neighborhood, with friends, whomever, that you can begin to to have discernment and pray for an opportunity to talk about why it is that you're ready to die. How is it that you have such hope and peace in life, despite your difficult circumstances? How is it, and maybe you'll get the opportunity as you live it and as you begin to talk about it in front of them, to let them know that the reason for your hope is not the stuff you've done and how good you are, but it's Jesus Christ and Him alone. One great story deserves a backup. And Luke gives us one. A shorter story, but a really... Important one, nonetheless. The story of an old woman named Anna. Verse 36. There was also a prophetess, someone who got divine revelation from the Lord and spoke on his behalf. Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years. She's an older lady, having lived with her husband seven years after marriage and was a widow for 84 years. Now, different versions give us different accounts of this. The language there is a little bit difficult to understand. Was she married seven years and then widowed for the next 84? Which would mean that maybe if she was married by around age 14, which would not have been uncommon, of course, in that society, she's over 100 years old. Or in in the in the version that we're using this morning on the handout, was she married seven years and now and now she's been widowed until she's eighty four years old. I I, I don't, I'm not sure. We'll see, but I don't think it matters because what matters is not how old she is, but the fact that she's old. You get that? It's a point that Luke's making. She's an old lady. She did not, it says, leave the temple complex, but was there in verse 37. It says, she did not leave the temple complex serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that she lived there. I know some of you think I live here at church and I sleep like right back here and I just get up on Sunday morning just to talk to you because that's the one day of the week that I have to work and so it's good. She didn't just live at the temple complex. What, what the implication is is she's there every time the doors are open. It, there's something going on at the temple complex, she's there. She's serving, she's a widow lady, she's helping, she's, she's fasting, praying, she's serving the Lord, serving other people, that's what she does. It's a picture of a woman with a very long and single-minded devotion to God and the things of God. Let me say something real quick. To some of the people in our church who are either, have have never been married, or maybe you're unmarried now, or you're widowed. I, I don't want to try to speak for God in these things, and so I won't. But I will suggest this. It's possible that in your current state of being unmarried for whatever reason, that God has something very spectacular for you to be a part of that you could not do if you were not in your current state. Now, I'm not trying to give you a consolation prize. I'm not trying to say, well, this should overshadow your pain. Not at all. I'm not trying to say that in any way. Being sensitive to you to what you've been through. Not, not in the very least. But all I'm saying is, is I wonder, maybe there's something like this lady. She was widowed even very early in life for her, and she just began to serve the Lord. Maybe there's something, I don't know what it might be, that you would say, if that's kind of how you are this morning, you say, you know what, I'm unmarried for whatever reason. God, use me how you will. I don't know what you want to do with me. I don't know what I can do. God, in my pain, in my hurt, in my frustration, in my loneliness, God, use me, leverage me for all that you are. All you want me to do is just throw me into it. And I know some of you have done that. I mean, I look around this room and I just see faces and I just think, my goodness, I'm not sure I could do that. (laughs) I don't have that strength within me. But I see so many people who have done that. and, And Anna gives us that kind of view. Verse 38 is at that very moment she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she sees Jesus, recognizes him, of course, as the Messiah, just like Simeon did, because the stories go together. And she begins immediately to thank God for his salvation and to start talking about it to everybody who will listen, and probably some who weren't listening. <laughs> But, you know, you love old ladies because they're going to talk whether anybody's listening or not. And you're going to have to sit there and listen. And that's perfectly okay. Isn't it great? That's what Anna does. She says, look, I've been here my whole life. I've been waiting on this forever. Here he is. And you're not getting away without hearing about it. She saw Jesus, began to thank God, began to tell people about the Messiah. Praise God, she says, and let me tell you why. Simeon says, I-, I can die in peace, let me tell you why. Anna says, praise God, and let me tell you why I'm praising God. I've seen God's salvation. The Savior is here. It's another way that you might be able to start conversation with people. It so says she thanked God. I wonder how many times in our conversation are we mindful to thank God for things in the presence of other people who might not be thanking God for anything. Maybe you're looking for a way. You say, I don't know what to do, right? work, at school, I mean, around, I mean, they don't want to hear what I'm talking about. Maybe you just say like, Anna, look, I'm just going to praise God. I'm going to thank God for things and let everybody else deal with it. So then these, these folks, these older folks in this New Testament story, they're not worried about being mocked or ignored or pushed to the side. They're just going to tell you about who the Lord is and what God has done in their life, and they're going to let you do it. If you can't handle it, sorry. They're not being rude. They're simply living out who they are. Maybe for you it's to be thankful, to express thanks, even casually to God, and see what God does to open a door for greater conversation about Him. These two folks got to see that Jesus fulfilled all the promises of God. That he was bringing salvation. And what he did for them individually was to bring completion to them. Simeon and Anna both now have been completed. Simeon says he can die in peace. Not because of, again, his things that he had done, but because he had met Jesus. Anna is thanking God, not because of all of her gold stars for perfect attendance at church and great volunteerism. She's thanking God because she's seen the Messiah, your job, even advancement in it, relationships, sexuality, substances, vacations, more money, new stuff, any achievements or even religious activities and church work. None of that stuff is going to complete you. You can try it. Our world tries it all the time. There's going to be something new next week, and a week after, and next year, and a year after, and 50 years from now. Something new that the world invents to try to complete us again. To try to say, this is it. If you'll just give in to this. If you'll just believe these things. If you'll just have this mindset, then I promise you'll be at peace. But unfortunately, throughout history, and the many millennia that we've seen, none of those things have ever done it. Only Jesus. To worship like an old person is to quit whispering about Jesus and start talking about Him. Start talking about the completion, the hope, the great thanksgiving that we have because of who Jesus is. To stop whispering about Him, hush, hush, I'm not sure I should say anything, and begin to openly talk about Him. One question today. In response to Simeon, and to Anna, and how as two older folks, they simply could not contain themselves and were unwilling to contain themselves and spoke about Jesus. One question, if Jesus is who we believe him to be, why then are we so silent about him? This is not a guilt trip today. I hope it just makes you think a little bit. I hope it begins to stir your heart and your mind and your soul to say, have I been completed by Jesus? Am I thankful to God that He has given me salvation? And then as a result, Lord, fill me up so that I can't help but just spill over, even in casual conversation, to mention God, to mention the name of Jesus. If we believe Him to be who we say we believe Him to be, then He is the bread of life who gives us our very substance. He is God with us, Emmanuel. He is the hope of the world. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's our living water. And Jesus said, whoever comes to him won't ever be thirsty in life again. He's the Lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. That includes yours and mine. He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus said he is the good shepherd. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe it? And if we do, and we would probably literally to the man almost all say today, well, yeah, okay, I believe that. Then why are we so silent about Him? What are we scared of? Maybe today some of us need to meet Jesus again for the first time. Maybe today we need to have a fresh encounter with our Savior and say, I've seen Jesus. I've worshipped Jesus. I've met Him again just like for the very first time, and leave here not just as some charismatic fool who just all over the place can't contain themselves, but as a charismatic fool for the Lord, who's all over the place for Jesus, all over the place because they can't contain themselves anymore, spilling out everywhere. We say, don't get too carried away, and the Lord says, why aren't you more carried away? Let me encourage you to help us this year, in 2015, to help us worship Jesus by talking about Him like an old person talks about the weather, or their aches and pains, or the cost of living, or what's wrong with the world, or their grandkids. Let's talk about Jesus just like that. Let's learn the lesson and worship like an old person who's been completed, who's seen the salvation of God, whose life is now okay, who is ready to die only because they've met Jesus. Let's be those kind of people. Would you pray with me? We're going to sing a song in just a second called Jesus Paid It All. And I hope that as we sing that, it will be our anthem of praise to recognize that He truly did pay it all. I am complete. I am fulfilled. I am ready to die because Jesus paid it all for me. Sing it with thanksgiving. Sing it from your heart. And leave here today and go mention the name of Jesus somewhere this week. Maybe that's your take home. Just one time this week, mention Jesus. Get in the habit of praising God through your witness. God, we're so grateful for who you are. Lord, don't let this stop today and stop in this building. It's easy to talk about you here, Lord. Give us courage. Lord, I pray for the people who who need to meet you for the very first time today. Whose lives are anything but completed whose eyes are blinded and hearts are darkened. And I pray today that they would repent and believe in You, throwing themselves on Your mercy, receiving Your great forgiveness and salvation through Your grace. And God, I pray today for the folks who need to to meet You again for the first time. Folks who maybe for a long time have known You, walked with you, but today need a fresh encounter. Lord, I pray that you make us fools for you who spill over the name of Jesus. We pray in that name. Amen.